Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted to sample the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, your life improvement series starts now. Hey friends, welcome to Heal Squad All-Stars, where you get to hear from our top guests. Think of it as a cheat sheet to a better you. All of the best takeaways from the top experts in one show. Have your notebooks out and get ready to heal, my friends. This edition of Heal Squad All-Stars starts now. Saw someone last week who was really depressed and irritable and anxious. And the thought was that was keeping him up is that I am going to be like my father. Now, his father abandoned uh, his children and was an addict. And that thought just kept running around in his brain. And so the first thing, you know, I love going to the whiteboard in my office. And so we wrote the thought down. So whenever you are sad, whenever you're mad, whenever you're nervous or you can't sleep, write down what you're thinking and then ask yourself, what kind of ant it is, and I explain that in the book, but, you know, is that an all or nothing ant or just the bad ant or fortune telling ant? So for him, it's a fortune telling ant where he's predicting things are going to turn out badly, even though he doesn't have evidence for it. So I'm going to turn out like my dad, write it down, identify it, it's fortune telling ant. And then there are basically five super simple questions. Um, And part of these come from my friend Byron Katie in her book, Loving What Is. But uh, I'm going to turn out like my dad, fortune telling. Is it true? That's the first question. And right away, he said, no. He said, I'm with my children. I'm with my wife. It's just a negative thought that bothers me. And I'm not a fan of positive thinking. I'm just not. Positive thinking means I can go to the restaurant for lunch, have three pieces of cheesecake, and it will not bother me, right? I'm a fan of accurate thinking. So what's the truth? 
The second question is, is it absolutely true? With 100% certainty, I'm going to be like my dad. And he's like, it's absolutely not true. The third question is what drives unhappiness. It drives pain. It drives suicide sometimes. The third question is, how do you feel when you believe the thought you're going to turn out like your dad? I hate myself. I feel like scum. I lost. I'm a failure. So you see the negative thoughts that are usually not true provide the fuel for anxiety, depression, even suicidal ideas. The fourth question is, how would you feel if you didn't have that thought, if you couldn't have that thought? And almost always what people tell me is, I would feel free. And then we take the original thought, um, whatever it is. In this case, you know, I'm going to be like my dad. And we turn it to the exact opposite. I'm not going to be like my dad. And then you go, well, is that true? And he had so many examples where it was true. But if you don't write the thoughts down, they link with other ants and they torture you. And there's a certain brain pattern, especially for my patients who have busy brains, is when they get a thought in their head, it's like a little mouse on an exercise wheel and the mouse can't get off. It loops. It just goes over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Fine. I get them to write out the thought and take it through that super simple process is their rational brain is beginning to take over their emotional brain. And you always want, there's always this dynamic tension between your prefrontal cortex, your thoughtful brain. So I think of it as the writer and your emotional brain. Think of that as the elephant that left untrained, it'll cause a stampede and ruin your lives and the lives of other people. You need to discipline or train your emotional brain, and you do it by having a strong prefrontal cortex or a strong, thoughtful brain. Does that make sense? Definitely. Thank you. So I know Kevin suffers from these ants linking up, right? And he'll tell me the same thing. I just hate that this is how I think or how I feel. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. (laughs) And that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, For a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus, having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully, our jobs and everything in between. But it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused 
on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> Bonus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. If he does this exercise, which he does do some of it, he always asks, is this absolutely true from what he learned from you? And that will get his rational brain actually working. But how much do you have to do that exercise before you've disciplined your mind to not go there anymore? Is is there a way to never have to go there again, like to heal yourself of those negative patterns and that negative thinking? So a hundred times. So a hundred times to start, and then you have to teach it to someone else because Mm -hmm. when you teach it, you really know it. And, you know, I dearly wish, you know, I only had to do one five mile walk and my body would just stay healthy, (laughs) but, but that's ridiculous. Right. Um, and as I discipline my habits uh, for my body, I have to do the same thing for my mind. 
And in the book, I also talk about tiny habits. What's the smallest thing I can do today that'll make the biggest difference? And whenever you feel sad, mad, nervous, or out of control, write it down and then just go, is it true? And you know, if you do this 100 times, very quickly, you just go, what's the opposite of the thought that's bothering me? Like, you know, I had a thought, my wife never listens to me. And um, right now, I can go, my wife often listens to me, and then I can find 15 examples and the thought won't bother me, right? But you have to do a hundred of them. And then other tiny habits I love is the most important one is this takes three seconds. Ask yourself before you're going to go do anything, is this good for your brain or bad for it? And if you love yourself and you have proper information, you'll start making better decisions. And the decisions I make for my brain are never because I should do it. Yuck. I don't want to do that. Um, I actually grew up right near where you live and went to Our Lady of Grace uh, Catholic School. Um, And so I have a lot of should ants in my head. Shoulds don't (laughs) I do things because I love myself. So is this good for my brain? Then I want to do it. If it's bad for my brain, I don't want to do it. And I have this cool concept in the book I love on, um, I only want to love food that loves me back. That I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a bad relationship. I certainly have. And um, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just not. And I'm damn sure not going to do it with food. Uh, So people go, but I love wine. Doritos. (laughs) And and it's like, but does it love you back? And if it doesn't love you back, why are you in a relationship with something that, you know, that's like a therapy moment? So good. I love how you... You explain things and your analogies because it's so true. Why would you think you could, you know, walk five miles and all of this stuff? It just makes so much sense. And I think asking yourself, is this good for my brain, um, is a really great question. Every time I want to buy chocolate or bag of Doritos, I'm going to say, is this good for my brain? (laughs) There are so many people who are stuck in a job they never wanted or they wanted it then they got it. Now they don't want it anymore, but they're terrified of that moment from here to there. How do I get from walking away from this high paying job as a a DA, a lawyer, a doctor, and go into my passion? That's the fear is in there. So walk us through how you kind of navigated going from one to the other. That's a great question. One thing that immediately comes to mind is that I had to accept that I wasn't going to be able to see the full vision in order to take the first step. I wasn't going to be able to understand who I would become and how I would make different decisions 10 years from now. I only could work with what I knew. And I had to believe that I knew enough to take the next step. So I also had to invite flexibility in that vision of the future and say, okay, I'm going to take my best guess at where I might want to go or what might be healing and healthy and positive. But next month, as I gather new clues, I might paint a slightly different picture. So it required 
as someone who is both, you know, perfectionistic and wants to do everything right the first time, as well as rigid in, you know, very black and white, either or thinking, I really had to invite the paradigm of both and, okay, Mm. this is going to be both scary and worth it. This is going to be both really obvious and kind of mysterious. And I'm going to be both confident in some ways and really uncomfortable in other ways. And it's going to have to, it's going to have to be a fluid process. And I'm not really going to have that comfort of being able to rest on a solid foundation. But I have to remember that the solid foundation I'm on right now is not actually that solid or it's not the building that I really want to be inhabiting. So yeah, when you're in construction mode, deconstruction and reconstruction, you're actually building a new framework, Mm -hmm. a new frame for a new new life. And that's going to just happen one beam at a time. So, you know, that's, that's a part of it. And then another part of the process was I had to really start from square one in terms of time and energy management. When I looked at my desire to get somewhere else, I can dream all day long about having a different life. But if I don't know how to translate that into practical steps that fit into my existing schedule, then, you know, when will that change occur? So for me, my schedule was loaded with, you know, 13 to 15 stops every day. That was my norm. Driving around the city of Los Angeles, whether it's an audition, it's a meeting, it's a job, whatever it is, about 15 stops a day. And if I needed to make a change in my life, that meant I'm going to have to somehow get that down to 12 stops and then 10. And I'm going to have to create pockets of time where I can even read about how to start a different life. I'm Right now I'm exhausted when I get home, so I don't even read about how to start a new life, let alone try it. So I think really taking a look at my flow of my day and going, huh, I have to create space first. I have to make room. I'm going to have to clear out some stuff, whether that's letting go of certain friendships even, or uh, setting aside a job that might pay the bills more comfortably, but is going to take up a lot of energy. Like I'm going to have to clear space in order to make room for something new. So I'll, I'll pause there. You know, it's, it's having the flexibility uh, in vision, as well as practically creating room. I love that. Okay. I want to hear more. I want to hear more because I think this is the biggest thing for people is like, how do we make that leap? And it sounds like you did it in a methodical way, which is cool. Um, (laughs) And I love, I love the flexibility thing. And I love that both can exist. Like you can be terrified and excited and it could be great one day and horrible shit the next day. Like that's just how it is when you're rebuilding. Because if anybody's been in construction and my husband's on the East coast right now working on our house, it's like, you make five great decisions and then you make one shit decision. And now the tub isn't going to fit and you got to get a new tub or you got to break the wall, make it bigger so that it'll fit in the tub, which is the one you're going to do. Cost analysis has to come in. What makes most sense? Everything isn't going to go perfect. You know, when you're rebuilding, 
So that well, that immediately brings us to the importance of inner resilience and self-management tools. Because in this process, if you are applying yourself toward these changes, but your mental self-tape is hypercritical, negative, you're adding more barriers to that transformation, right? So you not only have to be trying new things, you've got to be an advocate for yourself. You have to be an ally to your mind and body. And if that looks like doing affirmations in the morning or listening to super inspirational speakers fill you up or, you know, reading a certain, you know, prayer or mantra, like you're going to have to support yourself while you're learning these new skills. And that means if you're going to be in uncomfortable situations, your nervous system is going to get activated more frequently in a state of arousal, whether that's stress or a sense of threat because something is unfamiliar territory or you're afraid of failure. Whatever these barriers are that come up, a part of this transformation is learning to work with your body to say, hey, I'm listening to you and I understand that this is new and this is uncomfortable and we don't have to do it all right now, but can we learn how to work together here and maybe take one step in this direction? And after you do this, I'll make sure we make some time later tonight to really relax and integrate so that you're not just constantly setting yourself up for chasing a new lifestyle and you never have a chance to process it and become the new self, right? I might be able to change the outward vision of my life, but if I'm still carrying my patterns and ways of being from my first life cycle, Mm -hmm. I'm going to remain just as anxious and stressed. So there really is a process here of working with yourself and being an advocate for your own well-being and learning what you need in a particular moment to say, okay, I look forward to this process of transformation, not I want to shrink away from this because it is so terrifying and uncomfortable. I can't imagine dealing with that again tomorrow. Mm. So if we're looking at a diagram, right? Mm -hmm. Because the first thing everyone thinks about is never their health. They think about their finances. How am I going to survive is never about their health. (laughs) It's always about money, right? Because that's how the world looks at everything. So if I'm looking at a diagram, did you have like, you're here, you're here, then you got up here. Was there like a, an adjustment period for you where you had to really sacrifice to be able to follow this new pursuit? Yes. There are also layers to my personal financial story and history where I contractually was making a certain amount of money, but I personally never saw it. Oh, you have one of those. (laughs) Yeah. Or I didn't know that I made that money. Oh, Um, we never hear these stories, Allison. (laughs) I'm really sorry to hear that happen to you. Well, and what's interesting is I adopted quite a scarcity mindset and I wouldn't really spend any, any money on anything. I mean, I am minimal kind of philosophically. I do prefer just get what's essential and that's, that's enough. I just 
feel peace and clarity and, you know, whole that way. But there were also some survival parts of that where I, I was afraid that I wasn't making enough money ever. Um, and I have my, you know, my own memories and, and experiences with why that was the case. But um, all that to say, I do remember there was a period of time where I knew that I was no longer going to have, you know, film and television um, as a source of income. So I thought, what else can I do with what I know? And I created these workshops and I went almost like door to door to different acting schools. And I said, you know, a lot of your young actors are not getting hired because now people are obsessing over how many followers, you know, people have in order, like as a facet of whether you're going to be hired or not. So I said, okay, I know a little bit about digital media. I know a lot more about film. What if I go door to door and pitch a workshop teaching young actors how to establish their social media presence to help them get hired so that they don't feel replaced by, you know, a certain kid who maybe has a lot of views, but not necessarily the passion and drive to dive into the craft of acting. And so, yes, it was a massive pay cut, but it was, it got me through that month. And I am not someone who cares about a luxurious lifestyle. So it wasn't challenging for me to, you know, only focus on gas money and groceries and, you know, the basics. That's kind of already how I live. Um, So I get that for other people. It might be like more of a startling shift. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were for sure months and still are. I started my own company and we're self-funded, you know? So like, yes, I am completely, you know, evolving financially right now. Um, But I chose to accept that and to trust that uh, there will be a way. And totally understand that I have a lot of different privileges and status and options <laughs> available that others may not. Um, but yes, by no means was it like, I'm just coasting and I feel completely free to explore and experiment for the next five years. And let's see where we land. It was like, all right, so this month, yeah, how many workshops do I need to teach? <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. I think that's great, though, because and and I don't know what the story is. So that's why I asked. But now again, someone listening to this is going to see that they are you and you are them, right? Everybody's got to if you're going to start over, you're going to have to deal with sacrifices, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a lawyer and you hate what you're doing, you're going to have to go figure out another way. And that way may not have the same lifestyle attached to it for now. But I I think the thing that's special about you is I think that, well, there's a lot of special about you, but one of the things that um, I'm trying to verbalize is that you aren't afraid or you are, we're all afraid. We just kind of, they're the people who who put it aside and keep going anyway. And you're one of those people. So you're like, you're putting it aside, you're going to keep going anyway. And you're, I think you have like a curiosity matched with like, um, like this eagerness to learn and grow that carried you through. So you're like, okay, we're going to get to the other side. There is something on the other side of this. And I, I see so much in you just talking to you. You're so well-spoken. You're so knowledgeable about everything that you're talking about that 
everything you're pursuing and self-funding right now is going to be incredible. I appreciate that. I do want to speak to, it's interesting that you perceive me as being one of the, these are my words, not yours, but brave enough to, you know, move even amidst fear. Mm -hmm. I really, I, I did not see myself as that person growing up. I wanted so badly to be bold and audacious and I wanted to be dynamic. And so I will, I, it's beautiful to hear that reflected back and to know, oh, I actually have made strides. I'm not who I was. Mm -hmm. I started in many ways, very meek and quiet and now having a different confidence in how I use my voice. And yes, some of it is, you know, competence built over time. Some of it is, um, you know, changing my self-concept, but it's really beautiful. So I just want to name that in case someone's listening and they're going, oh, she was just born that way. I really don't feel, I don't identify with that boldness from my earlier years. I felt quite small and silenced and um and that, like I was just I lived to appease whoever was in front of me and I was a chameleon and whatever someone needed I would accommodate and adapt and you know now I'm like oh there's a there's actually an anchored sense of self and um and I have my own voice so it's it's beautiful to hear that to just reflect on on the arc there. We live in a society, right, where we're taught to console and to say, don't cry. It's okay. Everything's going to be fine. Or, or, you know, you have so much good. Like, why are you so focused on this or whatever? Like, there's just, we're taught to not let someone sit in it. Mm-hmm. And then we're also taught, you know, to shift out of it as fast as possible, whether it's through booze or vacations or running away. And so I I like that. I think I think I did a little bit of that this summer. I just kind of sat with my mom's loss and I was just kind of like, oh, this really sucks. This really, really sucks. And I just kind of sat with it. I didn't really have many other choices, I feel like, because I wasn't going to drink my way out of it. And Kevin wasn't here, so I couldn't just cry to him. I just kind of sat with it. But I think that's really interesting. So we have all these different astrologies. And before I forget to get the answer to this, because this was our big question going in, was how do you know the difference between your intuition and anxiety? I love that question. Thank you for asking. I actually have an answer. Your intuition has no agenda. No agenda. It is neutral. Intuition is inherently neutral. So you may have an intuitive hit that the volcano is going to erupt. And then, so that would be neutral. Now, a moment later, you may be like, oh my God, I'm standing at the base of the volcano. I'm terrified. Like you might have a feeling about that intuitive hit, but the hit itself is, it's not scared. There's no emotion. There's not excitement. There's not fear. There's no emotion associated with intuition. It's neutral. And so that's the way. And it's really that simple. The problem with simple is simple is often the most difficult things, just like sitting with grief. Like the most simple thing in the world is also the most difficult thing in the world. Um, And I think like to your point just a moment ago, 
we have this idea that like smart people deal with complicated problems and it's like simple to sit in your emotions um, or it's simple to just be present and listen. But that's the work. Like if you want an active relationship to your intuition and to start kind of really knowing the difference between the voice of your intuition and the voice of your anxieties, which often sound like intuition, um, then you have to sit with both of them, which means sitting with anxiety without an agenda, without fixing it, without trying to like outsmart it. And most of us are too busy surviving for that, you know, or proving that we're fill in the blank, right? But doesn't anxiety come from fear and fear is not neutral. So how, how can that be disguised as intuition? Okay. So a lot of times, so this is, so there's like an astrological answer I'll give. The planet Neptune in astrology, it governs a bunch of things. One of the things that it governs is anxiety. And the other one is intuition. It is the planet that is related to our sense of there being something more. So it's like high spirituality. So it's not religion. It's connection to God or universe. Um, And when it's kind of out of balance or uh, it's not paired with appropriate grounding or centering, what happens is it's kind of like, think of it as... um, our auric field, which is say our energy field that is around every human person and thing and all that um, is porous. But when we have too much Neptune, when we have too much anxiety, it's like a damn loofah sponge. It's just sucking in everything. So now you're getting in too much information on an energetic level. And when we get in too much information, our system goes into what's real. Oh my God. Am I, am I okay? I don't know why I feel this way. What's wrong. Instead of, again, getting a little bit grounded and listening to what is this feeling? Is this feeling even mine? Because we're all living through COVID, right? We know that there's a collective terror and a collective disassociation from that terror. And there's, and, and when I say collective, I mean, global, global, right? And I think that this is something that is, is really hard for people because you feel this sense of fear. And when we feel fear, if we don't sit with the fear and just be present without an agenda, then we cannot effectively parse out what of this is my intuition is saying this is a danger because there are dangers in the world and we want to listen to our intuition around danger. And what is my projection onto my uncertainty or my fears that's making it worse? And and, and that just is a practice. It's a practice and it requires that you know your own inner voice. Mm. And, you know, I say this and part of like the assumption in what I'm saying that I want to just kind of like point to is that most of us are intuitive. Now, not everyone's psychic. It's just like, you know, when people, I, I personally am a psychic, but when people who can sing really well, are like, everyone can sing and athletes are like, everyone can sprint. I'm like, well, is that, is that true? But we all have the capacity, right? Um, so in terms of intuition, we are all connected. We are all interconnected. And what is destabilizing about that is if you walk into a room And a bunch of people were fighting in that room. Now you might not be psychic, but you're like, something's wrong. And if you're in a state of anxiety or if you have an anxious nature, uh, you might be like, what's wrong? What did I do? Oh no. 
what's going to happen next instead of, oh, these people were fighting about the bill at dinner the other night. You know what I mean? And and this takes knowing our own energy so we can tell when something's not about us or not our own. And that it takes a lot of practice um, and willingness to be uncomfortable, honestly. <laughs> How do you gain a better understanding of your own inner voice? Hmm. I think that when people think of intuition, they think of like Morgan Freeman's voice, you know what I mean? Like the voice of God in your head. Um, And it's actually more of, again, a neutral whisper. So there's like the voice of your intuition or your guidance, which is very neutral and very subtle and does take some stillness and quiet within you to receive. And when most of us are feeling grief or anger or um, anxiety, it's very hard to achieve that. So there is that. But the other part of what I'll say is it's simply through showing up for yourself, noticing how you feel. And then like a, like a psychic trick uh, that anyone can use is when you notice how you feel, just grab your phone, use the notes of your phone, like write on a piece of paper, stick it in your pocket, whatever works. Um, what it is that you think is happening, like what it is that your instincts are telling you, put the date and the time on it and then return to it later that day, next week, whatever it is. And then you can start developing a sense of like, huh, every time I get a stomach ache, it's not because I ate the dairy. It's not because I'm having anxiety. It's because I'm having a relationship dynamic with my boyfriend and he's not even telling me what's wrong. And it's like, oh, my body is telling me something's wrong. Interesting. Like you can start picking up on those things, but it takes having a real like uh, willingness to investigate mm-hmm. and having some patience, which again, I know most people don't really have time and energy for, um, but that's that's the way we do it. Or at least it's one of the ways we do it. This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or mariamenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions.